morning church before we get into prayer i'd like to remind you that when we come into the presence of god and before his throne we are on holy grounds let's pray father god we come to you this morning with our hearts full of gratitude we praise you we give you thanks and we give you glory because you are worthy of all our praise in matthew 11:28 you said come to me all who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest father today we come boldly before your throne we come before you and we bring in all our fears our anxieties our uncertainties our trials our challenges all our health problems and we place them at your feet and we know father god we trust you because we will never return empty handed you will fill us with your grace your mercy your compassion your love and your forgiveness as david says in psalm 27:14 wait on the lord wait on the lord be of good courage he will strengthen your heart wait on the lord father god there are many times when we have to wait for answers we find ourselves in the wilderness lost and alone we tend to give up we tend to walk away because satan begins to sow seeds of doubt and fear father we pray to you during this time help us to sit in stillness and know that you are god that you are on the throne you are in control that there is nothing impossible for you you are fighting our battles you are the same god yesterday today and tomorrow you have never changed and you will not change father god and we know that while we wait we are never alone because you said you will never leave us nor forsake us and today we know that when we wait you are waiting with us you are watching over us and you are walking with us help us to trust you father we pray today that even at times if we cannot trace your hand help us to trust your heart that is who you are your faithfulness thank you father you said the harvest is plenty but the laborers are few here we are father in before you raise us up as laborers for you for your kingdom and your glory help us to walk to spread the message of love truth and hope and sow seeds to spread the gospel to spread the good news father when you call us we know you will also equip us give us the boldness to walk before people even if we have to walk with one single person give us the boldness the courage and the strength today we pray for revival in our hearts in our church in our families in our communities and with people who we work with 
Today I'd like to lift up Pastor Ed, Pastor Dustin, Pastor Lester, Ashley and the worship team, Lillian and all the staff members, the board, the elders, every ministry, every prayer team, every prayer warrior. Father God, and we lift up every person here today and people who are watching online. We thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit onto us and our families. And today I'd like to pray a special blessing on Pastor Ed. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit onto him. Bless him. Anoint him. Put a hedge of protection around him so that the fiery darts of the evil one does not touch him nor the word, but falls away onto the ground. Prepare our hearts today as we listen to the word and bear fruits. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence here. Thank you for pouring out your spirit onto us and our families. Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. Father God, we love you. We worship you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for giving us the wisdom. Thank you for moving amongst us today. Thank you. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dulcie. Uh, when she was praying for God to raise up harvesters, uh, you might not know this, but here's a picture of uh, seven of us that went out on Saturday, and uh, we just go knock on people's doors, and I've told you about this, and Byron is the guy in the front with his arm up holding the camera, and Byron leads us, and we went out, and uh, we got to share Christ with eight different people we had never met before. However, what I do want you to know is, uh, on one occasion, one of our couples was going to the door, and the person opened the door and said, I know you, you're from Springvale. And, and, and it was because you guys give money to the food bank. And see, we don't know what impact we have. I, Byron and I were another day and I opened the door and I started talking and the lady went, I know who you are, you're from Springvale. I don't go to church, but I send my kids to all your camps. And so uh, it, it's amazing the impact that you as people and us as a church are having as we focus on how do we uh, reach people around us through our camps, through our, uh, the way we serve in the community, through our big give, and uh, mostly through you. So uh, Byron's going to have this, I think we're going to do that once a month. So I know going door to door isn't for everybody, but for some of you, God is touching your heart and you're going... I think I'm supposed to do that. And so just watch each month. We'll have a Saturday morning where we go and you can join us. You don't even have to say anything, but if you want to come and learn, just be part of that. It, it really is a thrill. You know, every, we, I'll be honest, when we go out, everybody's like, yeah, maybe we can cancel today. <laughs> and then when we come back, we're all like, that was so great. So uh, you got to be prepared for that, but that's the way it is. And so uh, watch for that if God touches your heart with that. But for all of us, we all are called to be laborers in the harvest. We're all called, we all have 
have, we're all in a harvest field, meaning people around us, that Jesus used that terminology, that metaphor, to say people are like plants that God has been growing and they're ripe, and they're prepared for somebody to come in and lead them to Christ. And so one of the, another thing that we do here, which I really appreciate, uh, the team that does this, uh, we hand out these jars of cookies and uh, you've got to bake them. You can't just eat them straight like that and you might want to let people know that. But what, what this is, is this is for my four. We use that term from time to time, the people that we believe God is calling us to reach. And so remember how you reach your my four, the three eyes? You intercede, you're constantly, we're constantly praying for people that don't know Jesus. And then we invest in their lives with love and time and, and gifts and little thoughtful things. And this is one of the things you can invest in. In fact, if you don't know anybody, go get one. I, I just thought this, God, I'm gonna go buy one. I don't have anybody I could, I could think right off the top of my mind to give to. And I'm gonna leave it where I can see it and I'm gonna pray, God, show me who I should give this to. I challenge you to do that. There's, they're out back uh, in the in the foyer, and then of course our third eye, in, intercede, invest, is invite. And you saw people inviting friends to our uh, day. And I, I was shocked how many kids were there and how many families were there, so it was really neat. God is doing a work, and he's inviting us to join in with him. And so I encourage you to join. Uh, last week, Dustin started our series, Stories That Jesus Told. Now, he, he, Dustin made a number of really good points. And one of them that really stuck out to me was he said, when Jesus talks about the stories that he talks about, he's usually teaching people and often things they don't want to hear. Nothing's really changed in 2,000 years. The stories of Jesus still challenge us in areas of our life that we don't like to hear. And then he said this, the one who has nothing to learn, learns nothing. That's what caught my attention. And I thought, I'm, I was sitting in the, the audience like you, and I was thinking, you know, I know this story that he's going to tell. I've preached it many times. And then he said this, and I thought, you're right, Lord. I'm coming to this with a heart that has nothing to learn, so I'm not going to learn anything. So I had to do a little bit of repentance work right there. And then, of course, God spoke through that. And, and, and in these stories, I challenge you. Here's another challenge. I challenge you to come prepared to hear what God would say to you, even if it's something you already have heard before, a story you already heard before, or it talks about something you don't want to hear about. And that's today's sermon. Why do I always get these passages? <laughs> just, is it me? Have I done something wrong? Like, uh, okay. So learning, using that idea of learning. Uh, when I was a kid, I decided I was going to learn to box. And so I took up boxing for one night. Actually, maybe 20 minutes is all I lasted because I thought there's got to be a better sport out there that you can play where you don't get your head pounded in. So I chose hockey. <laughs> At least you have a helmet on anyway. <laughs> um, but I, I, when I was there, I did pick up a few words and I learned in that 20 minutes of my boxing experience, I, I learned how to faint. Now, I don't mean F-A-I-N-T, I mean F-E-I-N-T. Now, now, you know, then I thought, look back on it, to faint, F-A-I-N-T, let's fall in a swoon on the carpet, might be a way, good way to avoid a uh, beating. But that's not what I'm talking about. I learned to faint 
So the F-E-I-N-T, that, that when boxers are boxing, apparently, again, 20 minutes, this is all I know, so don't laugh at me. And, you know, they'll pretend, they'll faint a, a jab, and hopefully the opponent will respond to that and prepare for it so that the haymaker can come through and pop the guy in the head. And so that feint is designed to distract the opponent so the real hard punch can be delivered in an unprotected area. And so that is what Jesus is going to do in this story. There is a feint and then there's a haymaker that leaves us walloped about money on our backs. Okay, told you I was going to talk about something you didn't want to talk about. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Stop for a moment. There's three groups of people mentioned in that one verse. There's the disciples, those that were wanting to be followers of Jesus. Now, to be a follower of Jesus means, it doesn't mean to know what Jesus says. It doesn't mean to wear a cross around your neck. It doesn't even mean to come to church. Though they may be things followers of Jesus do, that's not what a follower of Jesus is. A follower of Jesus is a person who seeks to obey the teaching and commands of Jesus. Right? So you can come to church and not truly be a follower of Jesus because you're not obeying him in areas of your life. And I say seek to obey because in my experiences, there's times when I don't want to obey what he tells me, but I struggle through it. And eventually I have to decide if I'm going to, is he the Lord or am I the Lord? And he's the Lord. And so then I walk through it. Sometimes it's very messy in my life. But if in your heart, your desire is to follow him, to obey him, even if you struggle with it, then that's following Jesus. Coming to church is not following Jesus. It's coming to church. Then you have the rich man. Oh, let me back up for a second. He's talking to his disciples because he wants to teach them about money. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, one who wants to obey Jesus, he's going to teach us about money in this, this story. And when you follow Jesus, his hand, his commands touch the most intimate part of our lives. Jesus talks about sex, our sexual lives. He talks about uh, how we treat one another, our spouses, our children. He talks about money, he talks about demonic, he talks about living faithfully, he talks about a lot of stuff. He talks about what we do day in and day out in our lives. And he talks about how to do it in a way to honor God. The only way to, like standing up here preaching or singing is not the only way to honor God when you worship him. You worship him and honor him as much from your chair as you do anybody up here when your heart is right and you're seeking to follow him. You worship and honor him Monday morning when you go to work faithfully to provide for your family or care for the needs of somebody else and you do that job as unto him. That is as much worship as what I'm doing now. It's different, but it's worship because you're saying I'm following Jesus, obeying him. I wanna be light in my world. I wanna honor him where I'm at. So that's the kind of people he's teaching. And this is why he tells the story. Now in the story, there's a rich man and the rich man is kind of just extraneous to the topic. There had to be somebody that owned the, the everything and that's the rich man. That's about all we know of him. And then there's this manager, the one the rich man hires to take care of his vast, he's, he's a very wealthy farmer. We know that by the amounts of money that, that are talked about. He's a very wealthy farmer and he hires a manager to look after his huge land holdings. That was very common. And the manager is the one that Jesus cues in on for us, to teach us. 
So this manager was accused of wasting the rich man's possessions. Very likely that means he was using the rich man's money for his own well-being. He had a you know, wine cellar that was really expensive, that nobody else knew about it, that he bought with the master's money. He would go on extended vacations. He would treat the servants poorly, maybe rip them off so that he could have a little extra. Whatever he was doing, we're not told, he was just wasting the, man, the, the rich man's possessions. And so the rich man called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? <laughs> sure, your sin will find you out. Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So the rich man hears about what he's doing and how he's ripping him off. And he said, I'm calling you out. Now get the books ready and give an account of everything you're doing. Now, what the manager does not do is as instructive as what he does do. You would expect that if he was innocent, he would go away and go, I got to figure out how to convince the rich man, my boss, that I I have been honest, that this is a misunderstanding. I've got to get the books together and show him I've been faithful. He does not say that. (laughs) In fact, he assumes he's guilty. He knows he's guilty because he says, the manager says to himself, well, what am I going to do now? I'm caught. I'm not strong enough to dig. Probably older. He's in a position of immense responsibility so he's probably older and he says I'm not strong enough to dig I understand that an hour on a shovel gives me about two days of back issues so I get what he's saying I'm I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg I get that would you like that to be your life have you ever seen beggars I've seen beggars in Jerusalem their life does not look really pleasant And he goes, I got to figure this out because I I don't know what my future's going to look like. And then he goes, I know what I'll do. So he comes up with this great idea. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses then. I'm going to use what resources I have now so that when I'm when now is over and I no longer have access, and by the way, he was the manager, he had a, he he had the freedom to do with the money what he deemed best. That's the level of trust a manager had. That's what you give your financial advisor when you sign off on the sheet said he or she can make trades for you without contacting you. And so that's the kind of level of trust we're talking about and he goes I know what I'll do now that I'm still there's a brief window where I'm still the manager I'm going to do something so that when I'm done there and I can't work or I can't beg I'll be welcomed into their houses now he does not mean I'm going to be able to couch surf for the next you know 40 years of my life because what I do he means the people he deals with are wealthy individuals too you can tell just by the figures that we're talking about and I'm going to give them a big favor so that when it comes time I'm fired I come to them I kind of got them around the neck because I gave them such a huge favor now they owe me something and they'll welcome me in their houses probably give me a job somewhere on their big staff and 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 I can do work that I can handle I have a place to live so this is what he says so he called in each one of his master's debtors the assumption here is more than the two he's going to talk about so he did this probably we're not sure but but the the way the wording is it sounds like there was he called all the debtors in and I'm sure the master had more than 
two, but even if he only had two, he, uh, the, the, Jesus in the story picks on two that he deals with, and he says, uh, how much do you owe? And the first guy goes, uh, I, owe I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450, 50% discount. Boom, boom, boom. He has the authority to do that because he's still the steward of the money of the rich man. Then he asks the second, how much do you owe? And he says, a thousand bushels of wheat. And he says, take your bill, make it 800. So I did a little bit of work on what that would mean today. I, I, you can't say, well, what's a, you know, a gallon of olive oil worth today in today's money? And then you know, say, oh, that's the money he's talking about. Because we produce wheat and olive oil at vast amount of quantities, very much cheaper than they did in the first. So what I did is I said, how much would a, day, a laborer's day wage, how much of his wage would it take to buy a gallon of olive oil or to buy a bushel of wheat? And then I just converted what is today's day laborer wage and then what does that represent? What would that amount look like? So here's what the amounts look like. So if you had 900 gallons of olive oil in that day would be $140,000 in today's value compared to what they would have to pay according to what a day laborer would have to work to earn. So uh, that's a lot of money. And by the way, an average farm would produce 60 gallons of olive oil. That tells you how wealthy the debtor is that he's borrowing 900 gallons. But it's probably that he, the, the rental agreement on the land is that a person would rent land and they would pay half the crop to the owner and keep half of it. And so this share is half of what this massive amount of land would produce. So it probably produced 1,800 gallons of olive oil. And then the master was owed 900 of it, half of it, which is $140,000. So the, the, the manager says, hey, just write it in half and I'll give you a $70,000 discount. Black Friday, it's Black Friday. <laughs> That's not bad little help, considering the average farm would make 60 grand a year in our dollars. Now think about it. He's giving him a discount. Now clearly somebody who's farming and getting 1,800 gallons on used land is a wealthy person too. Not just the guy that owns the land, the guy that's farming it that he can produce that much. He must have a huge staff to be able to do that. 70 grand. I'm gonna disc discount you what the average farm would make in a year. So then he goes to the next person, the wheat. 1,000 bushels of wheat. Let me see the next slide please. That'd be worth $600,000 in our wages today and his discount is worth $120,000 which is two years, two years of what an average farm would make. You're talking deep big discounts. Even, you know, would you mind if somebody cut $120,000 off your debt? Would you feel like you owed them something if they did that for you? Now, this is, here comes the faint. Remember I told you there's a faint? This is the faint that Jesus makes. This is where we all get hung up on this story. Verse 
8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Now, this is kind of bifurcated verse, meaning there's two sides to it. The master commends the dishonest. How could he commend? Most people read, how can he commend him? He ripped him off, and, and, and I don't understand. And so the master is not commending the dishonest manager for his dishonesty. He's commending him for being shrewd. So this is probably what it sounds like. I'm just making this up, but this is what the text is trying to communicate. The master, the rich man, is not saying, boy, maybe I misunderstood. This guy's really sharp. I shouldn't have fired him. Maybe I should bring him back on the staff. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, that dirty lion snake, I could kill him. He's smart. He's shrewd. He got me. But I could kill him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, boy, he took advantage of his opportunity. The money that he controlled in his life right then, he used so that when then is over, he will be welcomed here. That's the point. And so Jesus said, you know, the people of the world, the people not of the faith, are more shrewd and wise in dealing with the money that's entrusted to them than people of the light. And by the way, this is where this is going to coalesce with you and your wallet and your bank account because all the money you have is entrusted to you by God. It is not yours, you steward it. And the reason I can say that is because when you die, none of it goes with you. Just let that sink in for a moment. It's not my money. It's the money God has given me to steward. And he expects I provide for my family. He expects that I pay for a vacation if I need it. But he expects me to use it to invest in the kingdom of God and the lives of others. And while I'm in the now with the money that I have been entrusted with, that Crystal and I have been entrusted with, we, if we are wise, we will be investing into the kingdom of God ahead of that we're going to eventually walk into. And because what we have now, we don't keep, but we invest what we have now and are entrusted to, it will produce a warm welcome for us when we come. And this is the haymaker Jesus delivers. Look at what he says in verse nine. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Now he's, he's using the terminology of the story to, use, to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Use the money you're given now so that you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Does that sound wrong? I didn't know I could pay my way into heaven. Well, you can. Let's close in prayer. Just send me a check and I'll make sure you get there. (laughs) See, this is the part that you go, oh, boy, where did that come from? The principle is how we use our money entrusted to us now will determine the welcome we get 
then. And Jesus is intentionally vague because we, we know from Jesus and from every other book in the Bible that we are welcomed into the presence of God not because we paid and not because we did good works but because we admitted our sin, we believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is pays for our sin and we have surrendered our lives to follow, to obey Jesus. The heart, that's called a heart of faith. And the person with a heart of faith is the one who's forgiven and reconciled and, and is called a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And we are made God's family and welcomed into his dwelling. It's by faith. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's intentionally vague and a little bit miss, uh, uh, hard to understand because he wants only those that seek him to follow through with those. If you don't want to pay attention to him, you don't have to pay attention to him. You can write him off. You too. You can write him off. Gives you the out. The next three principles that he gives clarify this. And I'll tell you up front. That the heart of a person that loves God will do the things that he just talked about. So that's what Jesus is saying. When you love God, you have a generosity because he's making us like Jesus. And Jesus was generous. He gave his life for us to die on the cross. So when you love God, he creates within you a heart of generosity. And so that you, this would just make sense. Giving what we have now to God and his kingdom for eternal, his eternal glory just makes sense. So he's saying this is the action of a heart that loves God. And a heart that loves God is one that's admitted its sin, believed in Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection, and surrendered their life to follow Jesus and obey him. Now watch the three principles that he'll use to kind of tease that out. So if you were standing there listening to that, like you are now, you're sitting here listening to that, it's might, you're like, that doesn't, that's confusing. Like, I, it doesn't make sense. Pay money to get into heaven. So then he goes on to clarify what he's talking about. Whoever can be trusted, verse 10, with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling the worldly wealth that you have now, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? Do you ever think, boy, if I had more money, I would give more. This verse just cuts you right out at the knees. Oh, if I had more money, if I had more freedom, if I had a little bit extra, I would give more. But you know the way things are. This verse says, if you're faithful with a little, that's all God needs to see. He, he, he could give you billions. He doesn't, but he could. And in the world to come, who knows what he gives? True riches. He doesn't need to give you a lot now to know if you can handle it then. He says, I can tell if you're trustworthy with the little bit you have. What's trustworthy? Okay, this is where I pry a little bit. My understanding of the Bible is that the, the initial giving rate is 
And why do I say that? Now somebody's gonna say, ah, but that's the law. No, actually, that was what Abraham modeled and Jacob before the law ever came. They said, I'm gonna follow God and I'm gonna give him 10%. So that's the model of a heart that follows God, they give 10%. Then the law came, actually increased that amount. And then the Jesus came and Paul goes, we grace give, which we interpret to mean, well, that means I can give what I want. No. As grace, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than the law, so our giving should be greater than what the law requires. So I will say, that's my understanding of how do I know what I should give? Well, the Bible says start at 10% and keep moving. You can disagree with me, but you better have verses for it because you're making a decision about your life based upon your own thinking that may not be aligned with Jesus' thinking. So, the beauty of this time of year is you're going to get a T4 slip. It tells you what? How much income you had. You might get a T3 slip, a T5 slip as well. You're going to get some T slips that tell you how much income you had this year. Guess what else you're going to get? Receipts from organizations that you give to. So just take what you brought in and what you gave, do a little math, and you can tell if you're at 10% or not. Just do the math. I'm sorry to make it so simple and convicting but that's my job, right? To share with you what the scripture says. Now, what if you're in a situation where you're really struggling? Struggle. It's okay if it takes you time to get there, if you're going through a dip or whatever, a crisis. God knows that. Just keep trusting him and keep following him. I don't want to make this legalistic. If you're not giving 10%, then you're not a follower of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's the way I figure from Scripture when I know if I'm being trustworthy or not, that at least 10% is going to God. And it's very simple to find that out. A heart that is truly trustworthy will truly give. Next verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot go north and south at the same time. You just can't. You gotta either be going north, south, I guess you could be standing in the middle paralyzed. Either there are three options, right? You can't go north and south at the same time. You cannot breathe in and out at the same time. Go ahead, try it. Try to do both at the same time. Impossible, right? There are either ors in our life, and this is one of them. You can't serve God, and you can't serve money. Well, how would I know if I'm serving God or money? Well, look at your T4, look at your receipts, and then determine how much am I giving to God, to the things that matter to God. Just do the math. Do the math. It will reveal your heart. It just reveals your heart. Your actions reveal your heart. Remember, he's teaching the disciples, those that want to be a follower of him. If you don't want to be a follower of him, you don't need to take any of this. But if you want to follow Jesus, he's saying, 
Your heart will direct your actions. You'll be trustworthy with the little you have, and you will choose to serve God over money. And the only way I know to do that is to make sure I'm giving what I should be giving. And even then I can struggle with it. Final one, the Pharisees, so the religious leaders are standing around, who loved money, loved it, were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So the Pharisees, we know from other scriptures and their encounters with Jesus, we know the Pharisees were people who loved money and claimed to love God. Jesus is particularly harsh on them because they're the religious leaders. They know the scriptures, and yet they are the most hypocritical in this area. And that's why they're sneering at Jesus, because he just said, you can't love money and God. And what do they love? Money. But they are officially exteriorly the leaders of leading people to God. They're the godly, we're supposed to be godly people, and Jesus' teaching just undercut them because he said, you can't love money, but we love money. You can't love money, but we love money. You can't love money, but we love money. And you can't love God at the same time. It's got to be the one, ah, 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 ah. That's what's going on. So you justify yourself. You explain away the things that you are doing so you can keep your money. Remember in, um, I think it's Luke 7, but I could be wrong in that reference. But the story is Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and he says to them, you have set aside the word of God to take care of your parents because you claim, you made up this thing called Corbin and anything you put in Corbin that you hold on in your bank account can't be given away because it's dedicated for God. You can use it, but you can't give it away for nobody else. So you don't even take care of your parents who are in need because you want to hold on to your money and you're the religious leaders. This is the people he's dealing with. And he said, God knows. Knows what? Your heart. And what people value highly is love of money. God detests. The hypocrisy of claiming to love God and loving money, God detests. At least be honest. So this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, those who want to obey and follow Jesus. And so he says, you gotta get a hold of this money thing because it'll corrupt your heart. And so he's teaching them that they need to make sure that they are using the wealth that they have now, we are using the wealth that we have now, in order to invest in the kingdom of God so that in the day we stand before God, God can say to us, your actions matched your profession, welcome. Because Jesus says, I'm gonna stay in that day of some away from me, I don't know you. We, we did miracles in your name. We preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, your heart does not match your mouth. That's what Jesus is getting at. Is it okay to struggle in this? Sure it is. Of course it is. That's how you grow. You struggle. But just know that that's what Jesus is saying. I've given to you the money that's in your bank account, the house that you have, the car. It's all given to you to use for your family, for the needs that you have, 
and for the kingdom of God. So be sure you invest wisely. So that when this is all gone, like the manager, and you're left to stand before God, he can say, well done. Your heart matched your mouth. Your actions matched your words. Welcome. Now, let me show you what real riches are like. I especially want to challenge those of you who are young adults, young couples. You're in a very difficult area here because many of you, I hear, are saving for houses. And housing prices have gone crazy and your, <laughs> your wage hasn't gone crazy like housing prices. And so you're in a tough spot. For those of us that own our houses, we're, we were in. <laughs> and, uh, but those of you that don't, it's really a very difficult thing. And so a natural tendency would be to say, well, that 10% is a lot. That, that could be the savings each year for a house. And I would say to this, trust God, not your sons, not yourself. Trust God. Because Jesus said as Dulcie prayed, I will be with you. Trust me. Do what you know and I tell you is right. And then let me worry about the outcome. Remember one person saying, 90% with God goes a lot further than 100% on my own. Not bad. But it takes faith to live that. It takes faith. Remember the manager. He was commended because he had foresight of knowing someday I'm going to have to give account. So I'm going to do with what I have now so that I'm welcomed into eternal dwellings on that day. Let me pray over you. Jesus, this issue of money is a difficult one because it's so valuable to us. It represents our dreams, our opportunities, our wants, our desires. It's how we purchase these things. Even owning it and having a growing bank account makes us feel important. It makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel safe. It relieves anxieties. All the things that you call for us to look to you for, it will provide to a limited degree. And so I pray that we would be free from the love of money, that we would be faith-filled in our use of it, and that we would have the courage to trust you with what you have given us that we would be wise managers, not using it for ourselves only, not using it in ways that don't include you, not being generous in the needs of people around us, the organizations around us, the causes you put on our heart. Lord, would you Renew us to be even more generous. This is a strength of this church's generosity. Would that just keep growing so that people are amazed at our passion and love for Jesus and would ask, why would you, why do you do these things? Why do you give so much to Jesus? Lord, may our actions be obedient to yours. May they be in faith to you and may they impact the people around us for the glory of God. 